If you identify something you think is both the problem and the best approach, and you're serious, then you should try and invest a lot of energy getting people on board to say, yeah, let's do this thing. Right. And uh, this is actually a complaint I have about a lot of modern life now, which is right now, it's almost impolitic or unpopular to actually do the thing. Like we're, we're, we're now- to talk about the thing. Oh yeah, like we talk about the thing, like that, that's smart and savvy. You could point at it and be like, oh yeah, polarization, that's a problem. That's a problem. Wow. And we could all nod and be like, We write yes. books about it too. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you're like, hey, I'm gonna do something about it. It's like, oh no, we can't do anything that about guy. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so, so then the way I'm wired is like, okay, I see something that needs to be done. Someone should do it. I'm a someone. I'm actually in this case, the most logical someone in some respects, so I should do it. Welcome to Forward with Andrew and Zach and whoever else. Uh, it's a blast to be kicking it off. And there has been a lot of news being made this past week where my book came out on Tuesday. I announced on Monday that I am leaving the Democratic Party, which I guess some people knew, but I made it official. I signed the paperwork and changed my registration to independent. And that does require us talking a little bit about why I did it, how it felt. You know, I'm, I'm happy to unpack this. Uh, but Zach, what is your relationship with political parties? Uh, did, were your parents political? Did you grow up in a particular environment? I grew up uh, slightly conservative. My parents, I think, like Bob Dole more than, more than they like Bill Clinton. But um, I was really interested in politics, but I was always, I always considered myself moderate. Um, I voted, I registered whichever, wherever I was living. So when I graduated college, but I was in North Carolina before that, when I was in college, I registered wherever I could vote in the primaries I thought would be the most interesting. So uh, Does I Does that think mean you've been a Republican? And I've a been a Republican and a Democrat, yeah. Um, I was a Republican in New York. I thought the Republican primaries were more fun here. Um, the Democrat ones usually already decided. Um, anyway, so yeah, I've been a moderate. So this is like no shock to me, but as we are recording this, Andrew, you're trending, this is Monday at, we record this Monday at four o'clock. Eastern time. You're trending on Twitter, which is fun. Always a fun day. <laughs> yes, it's. It, I mean, it's been a very interesting exercise switching uh, to independent. So I, I wrote a statement about my own background with parties where I registered as a Democrat in the mid 90s and have been a steady Democrat ever since yeah. and haven't really questioned it too hard because in part because, you know, I, I live in New York City and I think Democrats are fairly much the norm yeah, here. Very much. And it was a, a real experience just signing that paperwork because I did feel like something lifted or changed in my mind, even though it's really strange because if I wanted to, I could just re-register as a Democrat five minutes later and like nothing, you know, I mean, it, right. like, like it's sort of, you know, <laughs> like, like nothing permanent has been done. Not that I plan on doing that because I actually kind of like the, the new world of uh, being an independent. And then I wrote a statement talking about why I'm leaving. And I'm leaving because I think that there is a more compelling need of systemic reform than there is anything else, that polarization is going to literally kill us. And, and so I, I want to 
build the anti-polarization movement around common sense solutions, but also a process that would be more genuinely lowercase d democratic. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and, and the, the reaction has been, I'd say, you know, relatively positive in some quarters and then very negative in others. And then the negative quarters seem to be pretty consistently Democrats who are <laughs> de- definitely. Um, uh, and, and the strange thing is, and I put this in like a in like on a subtweet, it's like it really seems strange to accuse someone of opportunism for doing something that almost certainly will end up um, diminishing one's like general <laughs> like um, I suppose acceptability or something along those lines. It's, it's like a very strange basket where it's like, huh, um, you don't like it because you think it's going to be somehow self-serving, but because this is uh, fairly common sentiment, then you know it'd be nonsensical for me to do something like this for self-serving reasons. Like you know, it, it, like the only reason to do it would be if I thought it was the right thing to do, which I, I do. You've never been. Have you ever considered yourself, there's like, I'm a Democrat, or I'm a Republican, but then there's like, I'm Team Dem. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, they don't call yourself Team Dem, but you're Democrats do no wrong, we're political fandom. Or I've actually, I actually wrote a, like a small paper on this in college about how people root for the Democrats or Republicans, same way they root for the Red Sox, the Yankees. Or the it's very, sports. very tribal. Uh, Jonathan Haidt says something similar in his book, The Righteous Mind. He talks about if you want to understand politics, you should go to a college football game. Yeah, so you know. Um, and it's the, the analogy to me is I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. We got beat up by Tom Brady for 20 plus years. It doesn't matter what you would tell me, facts, logic, evidence, the alternative. I think Brady sucks. And that's and he's obviously the greatest quarterback of all time. But does it, no evidence is going to change that because he just tortured us. Right. Um, or I'm a Bills fan. And that's kind of what you see. But you've never actually been that you've been. A, you've always been like a logic math guy. It's logical here. Most of your friends are Democrat. You're so you've been socially liberal for probably ever ever yeah. yeah um and and same generally speaking um so so it's not a i, I guess it's interesting to hear you say that because it still felt like a breakup um it it did feel like more of a breakup even than maybe i would have anticipated which is odd given that again I, i've been a registered democrat for 26 years right. so i suppose it's a fairly long-standing relationship <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> Um, you, you talked about Crystal, like some of the Democrats that reach out to you and things like that. But so I don't want to unpack that too much. We just did an episode of that on Monday. Today, I thought it would be fun, given that you're trending on Twitter, there's a whole bunch of like real questions or let's call it, I'm going to call them the shitty questions from the Twitter trolls or just public outrage when things like this happen, um, particularly from the left, but they're all over the map. Um, and I wanted to, I think it'd be fun to have the when real... Something like this happens. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, whatever this, something like this is. Um, but I thought it'd be real and human to ask you them on a personal level as a friend. Uh, sure, man. Behind the scenes. So, like, the one comment you get a lot is, why the, what the hell is Andrew Yang doing? Is this just a money grab? Like, oh, I see he's got a book coming out. He's just doing this to sell books. Um Again, Why a very, are you again, a very, this? very odd thing. Yes, I agree. Be like, well, like, help us walk us through that logic then. You know, it's actually sort of the reverse, Zach, where I wrote this book over a period of months in 2020, and I came to the conclusion that our system is turning us against each other mm-hmm. and that you need a dynamic change and you need an incentive switch in the form of open primaries and ranked choice voting. 
And then I thought, well, how do you actually achieve that? Because mm-hmm. there are people and organizations that are trying to make that happen on the ground, but there isn't really a whole lot of popular energy, despite the fact that I'm sure this is, to me, one of the only real things we could do that would bring us back from the cliff. And so I concluded, well, someone should definitely start some kind of movement around mm-hmm. trying to reduce polarization and implement open primaries and right choice voting that would re- release or unlock both our current legislators from their messed up incentives, but also would un- unlock different political points of view. Right. And oh, by the way, make us much more resilient to authoritarianism, because right now you have just one point of failure. And then if that party succumbs and all of a sudden you're in, you know, uh, nightmarish, um, uh, dystopia so <laughs> not, not to say i mean you know I, I what i'm describing is um is if our democracy does end up uh succumbing to uh, authoritarianism which right now is a much more real possibility unfortunately because of the way our system set up so in the book i draw these conclusions and then i conclude say okay we should do this and then being I think a reasonable actor, I don't think it's appropriate for me, frankly, one of the most realistic figures who could do this to say, and someone should do this book end, and I'm now going to do something else. Like if you identify something you think is both the problem and the best approach, and you're serious, then you should try and invest a lot of energy getting people on board to say, yeah, let's do this thing. Right. And uh, this is actually a complaint I have about a lot of modern life now, which is right now, it's almost impolitic or unpopular to actually do the thing. Like we're, we're, we're More now- More to talk about the thing. Oh yeah, like we talk about the thing, like that, that's smart and savvy. You could point at it and be like, oh yeah, polarization, that's a problem. That's a problem. Wow. And we could all nod and be like, We write yes. books about it too, yeah. Yeah, and then if you're like, hey, I'm gonna do something about it, it's like, oh no, we can't do well, anything that about guy. it. Yeah. yeah, so. Um, so, so then the way I'm wired is like, okay, I see something that needs to be done. Someone should do it. I'm a someone. I'm actually, in this case, the most logical someone in some respects, so I should do it. And uh, I think that there's like also a strangeness around the timeline, which is people think, oh, you know, ran for office and lost, so you're doing this thing. It's like, well, actually, I'm fast, but there's no way I could write a book in four weeks. You know what I mean? I mean, like this book, <laughs> like, like this book was written and the ideas and the track laid uh last year summer yeah right yeah and and so when i drew this conclusion i was like okay how are we going to make this happen and then i saw a couple of paths to do so and here we are this podcast is sponsored by helix sleep I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors 
of sleep medicine is a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Can you, what are your thoughts on this? Starting an actual third party, breaking up the Democratic Party as one of the most prominent Democrats in the country, objectively speaking, um, according to a number of sources, YouGov is my favorite one, but it's like live polling. Um, starting a third party is objectively a bad way to sell a book. Would you agree with that statement? I do, I think. Oh, of as course I do, because if you look at it, First, uh, who are the press outlets and the book buyers? Like it would tend to be folks who are very Democrats. comfortable with the democratic narrative. Yep. And so that it, it would be actually unwise for someone to make a public break from the Democratic Party when their book comes out. And you have friends that are Democrats, both business side and elected official, Kamala, Pete, Biden in the administration, who theoretically could tweet and help promote and help you like hype it up. And if you're doing this there, those are no longer assets, right? The Democratic Party is not an asset to help you sell the book as well. So that's just true. It's probably more true of the media outlets, but yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, so, all right, checking that box. The other one I got, which you kind of just touched on was that I, um, uh, you're doing this because you lost two primaries. People say that, that's, that's what's trending on Twitter a lot. And I think I want, I'll say this, like you had written this book before you had even decided to run for mayor of New York. Yeah, that's um, accurate. Uh, so uh, it actually derailed all book plans when you did decide to run yes. for mayor. Um, now, a lot, of, a lot of, I think, average people, when they think about a third party, you're like, won't that just spoil the election for my preferred candidate? Let's call it whatever team I'm on. Let's say, won't that just make it easier for Trump to win? Or won't that just make it easier for Biden to win? You know, it does all seem to be coming from one side, which is the Democrats. Yeah, like, oh, it's going to help Trump sure. win. I, I personally haven't seen a lot of, oh, this is going to really help Biden <laughs> sew it up. Uh, and no, I, I think that it's a function of the fact that Democrats m- very much have like an anti-Trump view of the world and then think that if I draw any votes, then they would be also in this non-Trump camp because mm-hmm. they've kind of caricatured all Trump voters as uh, both monolithic and uh, very unreasonable. And the, the case doesn't make sense of the numbers. I mean, even when I was running in a Democratic primary, 42% of my supporters said they weren't sure they're going to support the Democratic nominee, right. which means that a lot of them were independents yep. or Republicans. If you look at the desire for a third party, it's actually significantly higher among Republicans than it is among Democrats. So if you were to start a third party, you would probably draw from Republicans more than Democrats. Yep. Um, but like you said before, a lot of this stuff isn't fact based. It's just tribal. It's just mm. one team saying, oh, you're going to help the other team win and blah, blah, blah. And you could present facts to the contrary, but that's not part of the calculation. Uh, I guess my thought is. What would you say to someone who's in the tribe on one side or the other that has a visceral reaction to this? That's like, well, screw you, Andrew Yang. Like, I don't, like what about, like, can't believe you leave our party or like, what would you say for a doubter or hater, for those who are listening who maybe have some doubts or have friends that are going to have that reaction or not be interested in that sort of thing? What I would ask is, do we think that things are working on the track we're on right now? I'm going to suggest that the current situation isn't working for Democrats, independents, or Republicans. 
And so what is the real solution, the path forward? Is it to try and get in there and eke out another marginal win? Uh, or is it to try and figure out why we're literally driving ourselves and each other into madness and fix it? And I'm going to suggest the latter is just a much more rational approach. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I, I mean, I understand where some people look at it and say, hey, you know, spoiler, third party, blah, blah, blah. And then part of me is like, okay, so that's true based upon our current binary plurality voting system. Right. Would you be happy if we just changed it to ranked choice voting and open primaries and then there's no spoiler effect? And then some people, some people don't understand that. So that's, you know, on, on us to try and help explain it to them. And then the, the next would be like, well, let's say you actually control the apparatus of government. If you want, you can make this change and then no more spoiler effect. Right. Problem solved. So to me, that's where I'd like to lead people. Uh, and it's just going to take a lot of work because, you know, people don't really think in these terms, a lot of them. And that's what I want the forward party to be is I, I was joking with someone where the forward party is going to be the approximately 10 percent of Americans who actually respond more to reason than right. any other form of appeal, political or otherwise. Right. And one of the things I'm confident in is that we don't need 51% of people. We need, let's call it 10 to 15%. And if you have 10 to 15% in the middle of uh, a polarized nation, the way it is right now, you actually mm -hmm. can do a world of good. Right. Uh, and so that, that's one of the things I learned and I talk about in the book is that my language is like its own political language for people who just really like facts. <laughs> okay. Is this, uh, I think this is an accurate statement. I want to get your thoughts on this. It's not, the headlines are going to say Andrew Yang starts third party. Andrew Yang's breaking up with the Democratic Party. Yada, yada, yada. But it's not just that. Andrew Yang is starting an organization to break the duopoly with a large set of relatively simple reforms to fix it. So it's less almost about the party. It's more about the party as a vessel to restructure democracy. Is that is that an accurate statement? Yeah, it is. I want to make our democracy work better. And there are some people say, oh, why don't you just do that within the Democratic Party? And I just don't believe that's realistic when you're going to try and operate in red and blue states alike. And you can be a registered Democrat and be part of the forward party. You can be a registered Republican, be part of the forward party. You can be registered independent. Mm -hmm. And I and. Uh, this should be an inclusive popular movement because most of us should realize that, hey, this stuff's not working and it's designed not to work. It's actually designed to put us at each other's throats and think that this person's my mortal enemy. And we can feel like it, we can feel that unfortunately it's working. Like the system's working in the sense that we feel worse than ever. We feel more divided than ever. Uh, and so again, what is a rational fix? Uh, I, and one thing I'm excited about with you, Zach, is I want this podcast and the forward party generally to be this positive, uplifting, unifying both organization and movement, but also messages. Because so much of our messaging out there in the world right now is so dark and angry and doom and gloom. Yep. Uh, and I, I had a conversation with Van Jones uh, today, actually. And the, the tough part of where we are right now is that if reasonable people act rationally, we are sunk. You know what I mean? Like, like if, if everyone just does what their incentives say to do, we're doomed. 
and and the simplistic view of the world is oh it's because there's some really really bad people in there pulling the strings and then ben and i were like no we only wish it were so because if it were so then you could get in there and have them do something different stop something but, but it's worse than that it's that we are in the midst of a system that is going to grind us up uh, and make reasonable people act very, very unreasonably. And people on the outside will look at it and say, oh, you know, it's the new group's fault. It's like, well, actually, the new group will also act rationally. <laughs> it's, it's, like, so that, this is the darkness. It's either very uplifting or very, very dark. Um, but if you want to fix it, you have to actually try and amend the incentives. There's really no other way. You're going to be doing a podcast circuit and um, trying to do all of them. If you Nothing will. like home, baby, though. Nothing like home. Um, yes. So you'll learn more about this. We've covered a lot on the Crystal Ball episode. You haven't heard that either. But one, a couple personal questions on this because I think it's interesting to ask. Honestly, if you weren't doing, if you weren't going to do this, what would you be doing? Right? Like, is this something that's innate and um kind of almost instinctual to you or were you weighing other options before you dove into this? I know you've been thinking about it for a while because you wrote it a while, but uh, if it wasn't a third party, where was your head at? I felt like I owed the people that have supported me uh, an honest solution that I believed in. Mm -hmm. And then I owed them my attempt at making it happen at its highest level. And you know, uh, if you were to line up people who could successfully start a third party, um, I would be somewhere on the list. Yeah. Now, anyone who thinks that this seems like a financially prudent thing to do is, you know, frankly, uh, not very smart or reasonable because there are probably a thousand ways you could uh, make a living that are <laughs> like, like a, yeah. a, you know, much uh, less of a headache than than trying to. Um, rejuvenate our democracy and um, <laughs> put, put an end to this dysfunctional duopoly that right. it really, and our duopoly just makes no sense on the face of it. As soon as you take a step back and think about it, you're like, wait a minute, like, why would we set, up, set this up? No other country has it like this. Literally none of them. I mean, besides maybe some uh, authoritarian or, I mean, then they don't, maybe they just have one system. But yeah, yeah if you like, we did, I did some research for uh, like a, like a talk you were giving. I was diving into numbers to fact check some things and we're, we're it, man. The duopoly here because we figured it out. And, and look, the UK has a ton of problems too, right? But to your point, when there's more parties, like if you have a problem like social media that's inflaming certain opinions, it's less of a blow when you have four or five parties, right? It's less of a, it's not, the, it's not half the country or both, and that's in our case, both sides actually just getting this inflamed, so. Yeah, so when you ask like, well, you know, what, what do I do? I mean, I'm going to do everything I can to help our country to the best of my ability until I get very, very clear indication that Either the country is back on its feet in a great way and I can ride off yeah. into the sunset and, you know, like uh, uh, relax and read a book um, or um, yeah, that's it, really. I mean, I'm just going to keep on trying. I don't know what the or is. Yeah. I mean, um, like uh, as long as I have an opportunity to try and do it, I'll do it. But I, I will say on a personal level, I, th- I think a lot of people who, who know me know this. Like, it's not like I'm someone who just loves politics for the sake of politics. It's not like I'm someone who loves being in the public eye for the sake of being in the public eye. Like, you know, like, like everything I do is just to try and accomplish various goals. And if there were uh, other people that would make it happen, I would just be clapping on the side. Like, I don't really have much of an ego about this stuff. 
the cavalry's not coming. I agree with you on that. Like we talked, you said in the beginning of the episode, we've been talking about, we talk, we're great at talking about the problems. We're great, at, we're great at pointing out bad guys for said problems, but no one's really great at solving anything. So I do respect that you've just jumped in here. You're like, well, if no one's going to do it, I'm going to effing do it, right? And um, you know, the great thing, Zach, is uh, I can feel like it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, like- it, There it is, know, the optimist. Right? Where, again, we can say the things that are on our minds that everyone knows uh, to be true, except no one's allowed to say them for whatever reason. I mean, uh, you know, we can have a good time. We can make jokes. We can. When you're part of the party, you get more backlash when you fall out of line, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we can talk. Sides. One of the things we're going to talk about uh, upcoming. Well, we can talk about it right now, which is what happened in Washington last week with the uh, uh, giant bills. You that know what I'll say? Make it. When I first met you, you didn't seem to care about what was going on in, in D.C. that often. You were more focused on like automation tech and that sort of And now since you've gotten into politics, you, will be, you like update me. Like, you see what's happening in D.C. right now? This is a mess. And I, I like it, it's been fun to like grow with you or watch that journey. But you've been passionate about this, both the infrastructure bill and I guess passing a budget and the inability of my, my, well, my favorite thing that's happened is the child tax credit. It's like the greatest well, actually, poverty measure. We ever. actually had a hand in that too. We don't, we're gonna brag about this now. We actually helped, we actually did a lot on that, both we being Humanity Four and the work that uh, Liam and the team are doing there. But um, it was because of legal issues, we didn't, we, it was actually um, illegal to talk about Humanity Forward too much because the legal structure it is versus a campaign. But we were very actively involved in lobbying Congress for a lot of cash relief. Yeah, so the child tax credit is the greatest thing ever. Uh, I'm certainly a huge proponent of keeping that around forever. Yeah, but what, um, so thoughts on what the hell's happening on Capitol Hill right now? No, I, I was fascinated by it, Zach. And I will say that there was an instinct I have that it's hard to get a ton of momentum around one of these processes where people are staying late and there's like this deadline and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then when you go through that deadline and you don't actually get the bill, then I do think it's like a bit of a, a letdown um, and a bruising for people because then it's like, okay, when I do this again, um, let you, I, I hope they pass a bill that makes a big difference in people's lives. And uh, it, it's obvious to everyone that if the Democrats don't pass this bill, it's going to be terrible for them politically moving forward. So you would think with that as the backdrop, something will pass because it, it's uh, in their interest to do so. Um, uh, but if you project forward, and this is something that there's been a lot of reporting around, there's a lot of doom and gloom in the Democratic Party about what's coming down the pike in 2022, which is going to make it such that Republicans probably retake the House and then mm-hmm. what's going to get done. So this is like the window of time uh, where they can get as much done as possible. And then if they get something done that people like, then maybe they can take that case to people in 2022 and maybe stab off the loss of uh, it's only maybe four or five seats that, that they have as an advantage right now. Right. On another note. Yeah. Imagine being up for re-election every two years. I feel like you would have absolutely no time to do anything before you're back in it again, especially if you're in one of these competitive seats. Well, you talked about this with Justin Amash on a podcast a while back where like, you get in there and you're just smiling and dialing for the party, pretty much. Um, if, you're, if you're a member of Congress, if you're, sorry, if you're a representative, you're fundraising all day, every day. That's your job. And they all want to be either a senator or something else because they see it as a stepping stone. And by the numbers, most of them can't. Um, so it just sucks. And then you probably imagine if you're there, you start to cling on to what you got, which is either a congressional committee or appointed, appoint, you know, whatever you've been appointed to or the seniority like, <laughs> like structure there. I don't know, but it sounds 
miserable, especially if you're like a wide-eyed millennial or young, hungry, a lot of press around you, congressman or woman, you're getting there and you can't do anything. Um, yeah, it's a yeah, bear. Yeah. Um, so do you think, I guess, prediction what happens in Congress? I, so I, like you've got, we were talking about this earlier, like, um, I guess, where do you think, do you think the Democrats actually get this together or... Um, I think October 18th is the deadline for to pass a budget. Like what, what are we, what are you predicting in the next couple of weeks? You don't get a great feeling um, because it seems like the Republicans are full on count us out of anything like a, a obstructionist. Uh, there's the debt limit, which by the way, I mean it, like it, the debt limit doesn't actually keep us from incurring more debt. And what it does do is, raise the possibility of calamity every once in a while. Like it's really not very helpful, <laughs> I suggest. suggest. Uh, I mean, the best guess is the Democrats get it together and pass something, um, certainly the infrastructure bill and then the reconciliation in some form. If they don't, it would, it would be catastrophic right. for, for the party. So you'd think they would do it. Let's say you were a young congressman from New York, let's say. And you were in there. Is there anything you would do different, like knowing how the system works a bit? Do you think you could have any impact getting that? What, I mean, would you change your party line? Like, I mean, you know, like or go against party line? Like, is there anything you could do, or is it so beyond one good person at this point? <laughs> or well, the two or three the, the best thing you can do is try and join a little caucus that's going to do something productive, because one individual member of Congress doesn't matter. Right. And the, but if you get a group of a dozen or so, then you might have some real sway. Um, so you'd either join one of those groups, or if it didn't exist, maybe start your own. I mean, I talked to a, a member of Congress who started an, an AI caucus, which I thought was interesting and exciting. Right. To, to me, the problem is that the system is in the midst of some version of uh, faltering all the way to collapse. And one of the things I said to Van today, which is which I think is really important for people to understand, um, and, and this is one level on which I understand the rancor toward me for leaving the Democratic Party, is that Democratic Party has become the de facto party of institutionalists, saying, hey, it's working, it's working, we're going to make it work. Pro-establishment, pro-society, yes. anti-anarchy. Yes. Yeah. And the Republican Party has become the anti-institutional party. And one emblem of this is the, the fact I cite in my book that 69% of Democrats have a high trust in media and 15% of Republicans do. So the Republicans are like, fuck you, fuck this, I don't believe yeah, you, don't you're on my saying. TV screen, whatever. Right. And the Democrats are like, no, no, believe, believe, I believe, you don't, don't you believe? Right. And so the, the, there are two problems for Democrats. Number one, they end up being responsible for these faltering institutions that do have problems and you know, are... are creaky and problematic and so everyone's like oh gosh and then you're like no no it's working so, th so, that's, so that's one big problem for for democrats but then the other thing is that if you're facing this anti-institutional energy then you're you end up just sitting there seeming like you're an apologist for the status quo which is a very very bad place to be particularly at a time when everyone's pissed off and sad and, and the rest of it <laughs> So you, you have this very unfortunate dynamic. And so this is one way I understand where Democrats are like, no, no, you can't leave the battlements because we're like defending the last, the last hope yeah. of civilization. Right. And then and, and so I look at that and be like, OK, I understand why you feel that way. Um, and to me, the job should be to try and make a system where you don't feel like you're defending the last vestige of civilization because, <laughs> you know, what I mean, like, yeah. like that, that's. Uh, or someone else put it to me in a language said, like, you have disintegration versus managed decline. 
which do you choose? And you're just like, well, I'd rather choose neither of those two things. Like I'd, I'd rather choose something that's kind of like positive and, and will actually solve the core problems rather than, you know, choose the, the, this thing that isn't clearly isn't leading us in some awesome trajectory. Uh, and you could, you know, blame a number of things for that. So, so that's the backdrop. And to me, the forward party has the potential to be the positive outside the institution's energy. You know what I mean? Like it's not the case that every person who's angry at the establishment uh, is wrong. <laughs> you know, like, like they're like very, very legitimate reasons. Yes. Well, you look up and be like, hey. A lot like, of reasons. Yeah, like that is messed up. Like, you know, like you are kind of dishonest. You are kind of bought and sold. Mm -hmm. You are kind of power hungry. Your incentives are cutting the opposite of mine. Yeah, yeah. like these things are true on both sides for sure. Uh, and so I think that that's what I would like to provide is this positive populist outside of the institution's energy to say you can be mad at what's going on or sad and not be someone who just wants to tear it all down. Right. Now, uh, one of the things that I obviously believe in very strongly is something like universal basic income in part because if I was in control of all the institutions, one of the things I'd want to do is not pretend that the institutions can do things they can't do. Mm. You know, like if I was in charge mm -hmm. of the government, I'd be like, you know what I am confident we have the power to do? Send you money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. confident we have the power to do that. Yeah. If I said I'm confident I'm going to fix your schools, it's like I, I'm not really sure I'm going to be able to fix your schools. Yeah. I'd love to be able to fix your schools. I mean, let's get after that. Right. But, you know, like we're going to make incremental progress in some places, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like it, we need like a, a, a come to Jesus, like honest conversation with our institutions about like, OK, what can you do and what can't you do? Like, yeah. why are we all so mad? Why are people and, and this is one of the major challenges for the Democrats that they, they had Trump as their uh, their uh, rallying cry mm -hmm. said, hey, let's get rid of this guy. Right. And then you get rid of this guy. And then you're in there and then everyone's like, why do things still kind of suck? Like, you know, like I thought after you beat Trump, like wouldn't all of this look like the border? Yeah. When, when, when do we solve the problem when I feel good and the rest of it? Yeah. And then they're like, yeah, not so much, actually. <laughs> so then so then people are like, well, now we'll like, what are we going to do? And, and so if you did have a binary dynamic, it, you're not being set up to succeed, really, mm -hmm. because you, you're you're on like a very, very tough side of this. So we need a dynamic shift where people can, again, have something that is going to bring them hopefully in a positive direction, like a practical direction, a solutions oriented direction and make the system just much better, more vibrant, more modern, more resilient, uh, more genuinely representative. It's, it's a tall order, but it's genuinely, in my view, one of our only real paths forward. Right. One of the things I'm curious your thoughts on is the forward party and your efforts are going to be start starting to target a lot of independents and disenfranchised Republicans, Democrats. Forwardparty.com. There you go. Um, the, I've been studying a lot on the attention economy and, it, like, and what's basically the attention economy is that right now every single brand and institution from politicians to Coca-Cola, I mean, you name it, they're all at uh, competing for our most valuable asset, which is our attention. And we have so many inputs on our attention that we've stopped. And by just 
necessity started tuning everything out. And politics for a lot of people, when the system isn't working for them, it's something that a lot of people tune out. And I think there's this misnomer, both on the left and the right, but I think it's more prominent on the right, at least in our circles, where people are like, oh, they're just listening to Fox News all day long. Fox News is the number one cable news site right now, and they're averaging 1.2 million viewers a night. 75 million people voted for Donald Trump. Now, you can maybe argue there's a trickle-up effect and there's more. It's obviously bigger than 1.2 million, 1. million people that are you know, touching Fox News. But it's not 50 million, right? It's not, it's not everybody. A lot of people have tuned out or they're getting it on, they're getting it from YouTube or their friends. And they're just saying, middle finger to the world, I'm not listening to any of this noise. Thoughts on both that and also how you start to cut through the noise. Oh, one of the things I want to do is try and reach people who aren't that into politics. Yeah. And so what are they into? Maybe they're into sports. Maybe they're into music. Maybe they're into pro wrestling. You know, like <laughs> I, I like just got to reach people where they are. Yeah. And this is one thing that I would love this podcast to develop into is something that reaches people in different walks of life and maybe not just this podcast if this podcast is a wonky but, but I, yeah. I think that there's a need for an independent media constellation that's reaching people in different ways and positive ways and help bring them in a good good direction help them make sense of the world um and there is a real problem where i have friends who say to me i have no idea where to go to get my news anymore and uh, that's something a lot of people feel. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one reason why I think some independent voices like Crystal and Saga are doing so well because people trust them. And I would love to see much, much more of that. I want to be someone who provides that. I want to find other people who want to provide that. Yeah. I want to build that up into its own uh, media universe. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think that would be a massive service to a lot of people. And ideally, Forward could stand for that, right? Or it's where it's truly independent, not bought. Um, and you talk about this with Crystal a bit, too. Yeah, right? totally. And they, they can yell at me if they want. I don't really care. You know, that's one of the but things. You yell at them at what you do, man. You go to a bodega or whatever. Well, we're you know what I mean? Like, it's not like Forward Party is going to have, like, their thumb being like, you said something mean about me. <laughs> out. Cast you out. You know, and I'll be like, yeah, fine, whatever. I don't yeah, really care. Yeah, that's true. It's not. Like, Grace and forgiveness is a, is a tenant. Um, so a, a lot of the noise around the forward party and the rest of it just goes straight to Trump. Like Trump is still somehow this dominant force in every narrative. It's like, oh, you're going to help Trump win. Yeah. And His approval rating's gone up since he's left, by the way. Yeah, it's dark. <laughs> anyway, um, so my, my thinking is, look, we have an entire cycle before Trump. I mean, let's get some awesome people elected. Uh, and I have my eye on a few people and we're going to have some fun and uh, elevate them and do our best to help. Um, so just saying Trump, Trump, Trump is, you know, not um, to me necessarily productive. Uh, and, and it is interesting how that that seems to be like the primary messaging on both sides. But I will say I'm of the opinion that Trump is the most likely person to represent the Republican Party mm -hmm. in 24 if he decides to run, which he probably will. And at least two of the major candidates I've heard have already said either publicly or privately that they will not run against Trump. Mm -hmm. That's Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. Mm -hmm. The people that look like they will run against Trump no matter what are Chris Christie, Larry Hogan. Mike Pence, I'm going to suggest that Trump probably defeats them. He has 65% approval rating among Republican primary voters. Mm -hmm. It's a lot higher than these guys. He's, he's got more uh, oomph and attention. Uh, and it's, I think, why Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are like, yeah, I'll sit this one out for a cycle. So you have Trump coming back on that side. 
And then the Democrats, and I'll go into this in, in some greater length, but the Democrats probably run Joe again. He's the incumbent. He defeated Trump. And I do think a lot of Americans are going to look up and say, wow, we're doing this again? Four years later? Like, I, I think that's going to be a real emblem for the dysfunction of our current system and the institutions. Right. Where you can, again, act rationally and wind up at very, very negative outcomes. And that's what we're seeing, we're witnessing. So I'll talk a little bit more about what I think is coming down the pike in 2024. But that to me is not a reason to just sit still and do nothing and then be like, oh, like, uh, you know, like the, the reason what we should be doing is trying to make our democracy more resilient as quickly as possible. And that if you had open primaries and ranked choice voting in a bunch of states around the country, I think it would improve things dramatically. I think mm -hmm. that it would actually diminish the chances of any person coming in and just running roughshod on various democratic institutions. Like the, the fear is real. It's just, I'm confused by the approach other people are taking. Mm. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> like, the approach, that approach being, we'll just line up behind Joe again or Kamala if Joe doesn't want to run. Yes. That if the thinking is like, hey, as long as we all get behind Joe again, then we can fight off Trump. And, and then what? You know, like there's going to be a successor to Trump at some point. Like there has to be, you know, there, there has to be a systemic approach at some point. And uh, I, I'm going to make the tough observation that, again, I think Dems are going to have a hard time mustering the same level of enthusiasm the next time around. And Joe beat Trump by a lot in the popular vote, yes. But if you look at a handful of the swing states, the margin was only 42,000 votes in yeah, four close. states. It, it was, was close. close. So if you have any kind of enthusiasm gap and the rest of it, and uh, you know it, it's, it's gonna be very, very tough sledding. So with that as, as the likely scenario, I mean, there are different approaches you could take. Mm -hmm. One would be, shut up and you know line up behind joe and like part of me is like okay i'm sympathetic to that sort of uh, but then the other mm -hmm. is like hey let's actually try and fix the system itself in the time we have well if you're also not thrilled with what the democrats are doing right now when they do have majority senate and house um, Which leads us back to what the Democrats can deliver on right now. Right. Yes. Um, Which is why they have to deliver, because imagine campaigning being like, hey, vote for us. And we had power and we didn't deliver. So, so they have to. Uh, what were the biggest drivers to getting Democrats to vote in 2020? It was we hate Trump and I think coronavirus. Right. Like it, like a lot of people were like, all right, Trump even if you like didn't mind Trump, you're like, I'm not loving the leadership we're seeing here. It's like, well, well, this is one of the other very, very tough things about where we are right now. And this is what polarization is driving. And uh, it was, I believe, Michael Schumann uh, in Politico who said there's a fear that we've entered a postmodern age of politics where facts on the ground don't matter because we all just get news from different outlets. Yeah. And so uh, it's almost immaterial what Democrats pass or don't pass because the the people who are polarized against it will just ignore anything that happens and then the people like it's a very dark wow. vision but it, you know there are a lot of people that are starting that to agree dark. with that uh that right now there's a low policy correlation between who i support electorally and what policies i actually want mm -hmm. the correlation is only 0.25 
So, ah. so you already have. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. terrible. Yeah, no. So you already, is nothing. So when you talk about the <laughs> tribalism of politics and yeah. whatnot, it really isn't like, oh, I'm for, you know, like this approach to taxation. I'm for the like uh, m- most people. Everyone in the U.S. wants lower drug prices. Right. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter if you're conservative or, or, right. or liberal. Uh, so. With that as, as your backdrop, it, it does make you pessimistic because if it's just tribalism and teams, I, I think it's it's going to be hard uh, for the Dems to, to, again, muster the same level of energy um, mm. based upon policy victories, with the only exception, in my opinion, being something like the child tax credit. Well, it's just because it, because if no. someone is getting checks... That's real, that's direct, that's concrete. And if you stand up and say, hey, you know those checks you got? That's me. That will make a difference. That's what I was going to ask you. On the trail, when you're running for president, you talk about a lot. Giving folks $1,000 a month will actually feel something tangible the government's done for me. You start to create a mindset of abundance. The Biden administration objectively has given out a lot of money. Um, Trump gave out some, put his name on it. I don't know if the Biden administration slapped their name on say but i'm not sure um well one thing i've said is that the biden administration should every 15th of the month from now until the end of the year get up and say hey you know those checks you're getting 70 million of you that's awesome we love them i agree and, and they, they should just have everyone in every district just have a freaking event every 15th and be like hey checks are going out look at all these families doing great stuff right. uh, i thought they should have a theme for each one where November could obviously be Thanksgiving or, mm-hmm. you know, October could be Halloween. Like, you'd be like, hey, the, the kids are going to have costumes. Right. Like, hey, there's going to be turkey on the table. Like, you know, it's like the, that's the kind of thing that Americans will uh, sense in their hands and, and feel it. Um, that, that, to me, can pierce through the noise like just about nothing else. I think, and you've gotten this question a couple of times. I wonder if one of the reasons they're not trumpeting it is because there's a worker shortage big time and yeah, the child tax credit is up next not affecting that so much it's really that it's unemployment is what we're talking about right yeah and there the issue you had said is that when you tie these checks to strictly not working you end up with people don't have agency they just either work and they get a bad job and little pay or do nothing and get you paid and well. i know people who are in this boat zach and they're yeah. very rational they're looking up being like look i'm not gonna work because i'm getting paid 500 a week right now to not work. And so, you know, yeah. like that would be kind of unreasonable for me to work. Yeah. And that that's normal. <laughs> you know, like yeah. That's one reason why in my mind, making it unconditional would be much better. Agreed. Um, so, and, and probably in, in some measures, probably a little bit lower than what some people are getting. Agreed. Um, or at least vary by city or state or income level. Um, all right. So you've got a big, I'm shifting gears. You got a big, uh, you got a book tour, man, um, which is going to be challenging and interesting in COVID. Um, but your goal was actually not, and I'll say this, this isn't a great way. This, I mean, I guess some people find this a great way to sell books. I find it, I think in looking at the numbers, it's a great way to kind of re-engage um, a lot of people we haven't seen in a while around frankly, a new type of vision. Is that an accurate way to put it, you think? Yeah, it's just getting out there, seeing people, signing some books. Uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm excited to see everyone. Go to andrewyang.com slash events. Um, by the time this airs, we'll have eight cities uh, in the offing. Yep. I'm coming back to Des Moines, which will be fun. I'm heading to Chicago and Philly and San Francisco and Atlanta. Boston and, this weekend, right? Yeah, this Boston weekend? this weekend. Yep. Come on out, Boston. So uh, we're, everywhere I've gone 
I haven't gone to that many places um, during this past period, but everywhere I've gone, I've seen old friends from the campaign. Right. I've seen people who are pumped. I've seen people who understand we need to do something different this time around uh, and that they're excited. So I'm excited to see you join us. No, uh, we're going to have a great time. We can talk about some of these things in greater length and depth. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to get out there. And it's intimate too. You're going to, anyone who comes buy a book, um, hang out with Andrew, but you'll stay, you'll sign books, you'll take photos. Oh yeah, talk for to sure. Folks. It's yeah, a yeah. Q and A. Yeah, it's um, one reason why these venues too, because like if, if you did something at a bookstore, which has its plus and minuses, but you're not really going to have that long an exchange with someone. Yeah. It's going to be like funneling people. Whereas through. in this case you show up, you can actually take a seat. We'll have an experience, you know, spend an hour unpacking some of the ideas in the book. Uh, and then I'll sign books uh, and then we can have the bookstore experience plus like this extended uh, conversation. And I think they're going to be tremendous events there. They're going to be awesome people there that want to move the country forward. It's going to be awesome. Great. So it's andrewyang.com. You find everything. You find the book, you find the podcast, you find the book tour, you find forward party info. Yeah, it, it is so fun, Zach, because, you know, um, thanks to you, like we made a real splash running for president and we set up Humanity Forward, which is continuing to do awesome good to this day. Yeah. Uh, and then now we're starting the Forward Party, which is going to enable us to elevate candidates and open primaries and ranked choice voting on this book. I am so proud of the fact that we just keep on making good things happen. Uh, and, you know, some people look at it and are just like, oh, you know, um, I'm not sure what the, the thought is, because I feel like most people in our shoes probably at this point would um, go back to uh, some of the things we've already done, you know, but we're like continuing to do new things and break new ground. And I love it because we need it. You know what I mean? It's like uh, it's one of the things that jazzes me is that we're at a tough, tough time in American history right now. And uh, we all feel it. We can all sense it. Mm -hmm. And then the question is, are we going to do too much or too little, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like I, I'd much rather be the person who's trying to stretch mm. and make amazing things happen, make unbelievable things happen that some people don't even think are possible. Like that, that excites me. It's like when people are like, oh, oh, can't be done, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, just wait and see, wait and see because if enough of us get together, we can shock the world. We can actually make a huge difference in people's lives. And I can sense the energy around us rising. It is really awesome and exciting. And I'm so grateful to the people who've stuck with the pod. I hope you're going to love this new era. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, the production values are going to be higher. I, I got to admit, like I know, like, you know, it's like uh, some of like the... Um, the video backdrops were in like nothing to write home about. It's still not our best work. We got like the whole studio isn't even set up. This is our still makeshift. So you can actually wow. see the light in the background if you're watching on YouTube. It's going to be that. fascinating conversations. It's going to be fun, uh, kicking, productive, positive, yeah. consistent, vibrant, from the road, from home. Uh, we, yeah, it, it's going to be a blast. I, I can't wait uh, to get started. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you on Monday.